Hello, I'm Adam Comer. And I'm Ryan Chittister. And we are the host of Life After Addiction Podcast. What we believe is that addiction is not a surprise to God. That's right. We discuss addiction from a biblical worldview and how true freedom comes through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Absolute freedom from addiction. The secular worldview of once an addict, always an addict is just not true. If you or someone you love struggles with addiction, subscribe to Life After Addiction at lifeaudio.com. Hi friend, are you stressed, maybe even worried about so many needs around you that you've forgotten you are worth taking care of too? Well, I'm Bonnie Gray, the host of Breathe, the Stress Less Podcast. I want to invite you to join me as I share practical tips based on science, inspired by God's Word, to help you spark joy and restore God's peace and love to your soul. Subscribe now and go to lifeaudio.com. Hello, and welcome to the Her and Him Podcast. I'm Dale. And I am Tamara. And when two theologians get married, what What you you get get is a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I always think that we should do one of those, like, simultaneously. Oh, okay. Maybe that worked. Maybe it didn't. Okay, well, we'll let the audience decide. You decide. Vote yes or no. Did it work? Did it not work? (laughs) (laughs) The silence coming back is deafening right now. I know. Just imagine a crowd of people laughing at you. Okay, that's laughing that at good. you. La- no, not laughing. They're at laughing me. with me, but they're laughing at you. <sighs> that feels mean. I don't nah, like it. I'm sorry. Well, we are clearly doing another night recording, and things <laughs> are already loopy. We are <laughs> Just off the rails. Sweet. Did we even start on the rails? I don't know. No, because I was trying to be creative, and we see what happens when I am the creative one. It gets crazy. So, Dale, you recently wrote a blog. And as I often do, yes. I mean, every other week you write one, every other week I write one. I just want it to be known that it is a 50 50 partnership for her and him in regards to the blog writing. Um, but yeah, you recently wrote a blog and uh, you really created um, a kerfuffle. Quite the conversation. Mm-hmm. You, you made some people disagree very strongly with us Mm -hmm. and you made some people feel really affirmed um but i think there was a bit more people who disagreed with you than agreed uh maybe maybe uh yeah the ones that kept commenting back right the ones i would reply to them and they would reply back to me the ones who were deeply invested in the conversation i had some good conversations though i had some not good conversations and good conversations in the mix. Yeah, I feel like for as easygoing of a guy as I am. You are. I'll vouch to that. I'm, I'm very easygoing, but I'm also, uh, I can tend to be fairly polarizing when I open my mouth and say what I'm thinking. Yeah, you're like a sneak attack. I'm a sneak attack. <laughs> I jump out of the bushes and stab <laughs> you and go back into the bushes. Whoa, why were you stabbing? I just thought you were scaring somebody. I'm you're stabbing, stabbing with my them? ideas. Goodness. All right. Well, what idea did you stab us with recently? Well, I published a blog for reasons why we should reconsider the Billy Graham rule. And I had a sense that this was going to ruffle some feathers as I was writing it. But I felt like it was an important conversation to have. And it turns out it was because I had good conversations with multiple people as a result of it. But for those of you who don't know what the Billy Graham rule is, it is a rule named after the late, great Billy Graham, who was a 
evangelist and um, internationally known across many decades, leading you know literally millions of people mm. uh, to faith through his events. And he had this rule for himself, which has been dubbed the Billy Graham rule, where he <laughs> said he would never be alone in a room with a woman that was not his wife or his daughter. And that was a rule that he kept for himself. That was a rule he kept for the people at his organization, um, dating back to the late 1940s and through the end of his life. But the rule, because of Billy Graham's influence, has become something more than something he did. And it is something now that is very normative in evangelical culture. It's almost ubiquitous. It's almost like if you don't adhere to this rule... Are you even an evangelical? Exactly. Like it's part and parcel of the evangelical Mm -hmm. culture that you would have to be outside the tradition in order to not be following this rule. And I think that there have been some side effects of that. I mean, it's been part of the culture for not only for pastors or evangelists, but for really any leader, any layperson, and even, you know, politicians like um, most famously Mike Pence. And so when that is the culture, and it is really like more than the culture, it's like the obligation of every man, woman, and child within the evangelical movement, I think there have been some side effects of that. And I think it's good to maybe get a fresh set of eyes on that cultural dynamic and to reevaluate maybe whether that rule in its current state, in its current existence is the best way to go about accomplishing the goal that it has. Yeah, and one of the main reasons we decided to take a blog and turn it into a podcast is because of how much conversation was happening around this topic. And it kind of felt like the people commenting were missing a bit of what you were saying. And so it seemed like the conversation uh, was taking just different turns. And I think that just had to do with it being in written form. And so the reason we wanted to turn it into a podcast is because we wanted to talk about a lot of the nuances that it unfortunately didn't seem to be landing with a lot of people for whatever reason that was. I think probably because they didn't read it. I don't know. That sounds arrogant. I was like, if you would have just read what I said. Well, I think some did. And I think they still were like, wait, I think we should still, you know, be mindful of these things. And that's, you weren't saying we shouldn't. And so we thought this form of talking about it would allow us to at least explain some of the nuances that maybe didn't come across as clearly in the blog. Uh, and that's why we wanted to put it into podcast form, which... I believe this is the first time we've ever taken one of our blogs and put it in podcast form. Um, Sort of in this one to one. Right. Where it was. I've secretly taken really old blogs that you didn't realize that you had written and turned them into podcast outlines. But I'm a ninja about that. This is the first one we're like, we're showing our hand. Like you can go back and look at the the blog. Well, maybe this is the first one that was my idea. And that's why. (laughs) Because I was like, hey, we should make that into a podcast. That's true. Yeah. Because a lot of times we sit down in the mic and go like, what are we talking about? And I say, oh, there's this four page outline that we have. Okay. That's not, that's not a hundred (laughs) percent true. It's 99.9% true. (laughs) How are you going to put me out there like that? I'm your wife. You're supposed to be on my side defending me, supporting me, making me look good. Like, what are you doing right now? See, this is another one of those situations where I'm very easygoing, but like I put the thought out there and now I'm embroiled in controversy in front of our audience right now. Thank you. 
But anyways, All I right. feel you want like to talk about some of the caveats of your blog that there's we lots should... of caveats to, to lots, start, but there's a few that we wanted to make sure we address before we really dive into each of the points that you had laid out in your blog. Yeah. So the purpose of the Billy Graham rule was to safeguard Billy Graham and the other leaders in his organization from sexual temptation. He came from an era where evangelists were a little bit fast and loose. There was a reputation that they had. About women? I didn't know that. I didn't yeah. know that part of it. Yeah, and so he just wanted to be above reproach reproach in that regard and um, to avoid temptation, to avoid any kind of speculation about that. Uh, and so he wanted to remain faithful so that that wouldn't derail his ministry. And so the purpose that he had was obviously very good. And so we don't want to throw that out at all. You don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Exactly, yeah. But when I say we should reconsider the Billy Graham rule, uh, people listening to that, people seeing that headline, people reading that, it immediately throws up like 20 billion red flags. Well, and it throws up, we love Billy Graham. He never did anything wrong. Why are you talking Billy Graham? And that's not what we're doing. Right. We're not attacking him and his ministry at all. Yeah, and so that's another caveat. The, none of the critique that I will make on the Billy Graham rule as a totalizing culture is a critique on Billy Graham the person because everything I know about him – and history has shown us we don't know everything about everybody. But everything that is knowable in terms of my access to information would seem to indicate that he was a man of integrity mm-hmm. and obviously had a great impact on the world for Jesus. And this rule worked for him. It did. Yeah, and I'll also say another caveat. We are not advocating for throwing wisdom and accountability out the window. Uh, We would never advocate for a laissez-faire attitude when it comes to remaining faithful to your spouse or... Certainly not. I'm not for that. (laughs) This is not an open relationship. Just so you know, I'm not for it. Okay, let me take note of that. Yeah, fix it. Yeah, but this is not something we want to be cavalier about. And that's why we're saying four reasons we should reconsider... And not abolish, not throw in the trash can, Mm -hmm. not outlaw, but reconsider. Let's just take another look at it because there may be some unintended side effects that are not profitable, that are not good and edifying to the church Mm -hmm. and where we can make adjustment or reconsider things to amend those issues. I think we have every obligation to do so. And so we're not arguing that Christians shouldn't use wisdom or that they shouldn't avoid temptation. But we just have some questions that I think are critical questions that we should be asking, wrestling with, discussing as it pertains to this rule. Yeah. And so the first point that you had made in your blog, which, by the way, I am grateful that you decided to write this blog. Um, It's one of those topics that, as sad as it is to say this, it doesn't quite have the same effects coming from a woman as it does coming from a man. And so this could certainly have been a blog that I wrote, and I don't think it would have the same bearing among a large group of people because it would be perceived as, of course you think that, you're a woman. And this rule doesn't feel favorable to you because it's guarding men against temptation. And I, I know there's a lot of people who say, no, it's equally guarding both. But I 
will stand by the thought that if I would have written it, I think it would have been received in a bit of a different way than if it was coming from a male's voice. So thank you for writing it. Hey, by the way, the Gospel Coalition wrote an article about the Billy Graham rule, but they published it a week after mine. So if you see theirs, I wrote mine first. Check the dates. Okay. We are humble people. And I felt good that I beat the gospel coalition to the punch on something though. <laughs> yeah, us little small potatoes over here beat this like, massive organization and all the content they put out. That's I right. mean more people saw theirs, but I got to do it first. Yes, yes. And so the um five friends and family that are listening to this, we got there first. Okay. You heard it here first, folks. Oh gosh. Okay. Tell so all the your friends. first <laughs> moving on. The first point in your blog for reasons why we should reconsider, again, reconsider, not abolish or eliminate or destroy, uh, reconsider the Billy Graham rule was because it doesn't actually seem like it's working in our current culture. And one of the most recent examples that we can go to is Ravi Zacharias. Yeah, devastating. Yeah, and we, we had a podcast on that, which was I don't know what podcast that was, Dale. What it was, podcast it was, was a it? podcast that was way less fun than this one. So, <laughs> Yeah. So it just doesn't seem like it's working in our current culture among our current church leaders and um, just not even just church leaders, but Christian leaders. So one of the reasons we think it's reasonable to reconsider is because the fact that we continue to see probably an equal number of cases of sexual abuse, sexual misconduct within Christians as non-Christians. Yeah, and like really high-profile cases, whether it's Ravi Zacharias, whether it's Bill Hybels, whether it is Andy Savage, some that weren't, you know, sexual assault, those three were cases of assault and that kind of misconduct. But, you know, even just infidelity in marriages, you think about mm-hmm. recently Carl Lentz, Jerry Falwell Jr., If the purpose of this cultural goal is to keep us from falling into these kind of temptations, then why is it that in the culture where that is the ubiquitous rule, we do not seem to have any better statistics with regard to this Mm, issue than outside the church? Now, again, that's what I'm just saying, like reconsider, because if the rule is there for a purpose, if it's a means to an end... Mm-hmm. And we're not getting to that end, then we need to reevaluate the means. Yeah, and we need to look at like some of the issues of this because the root of the issue doesn't seem to be solved by saying, "I will not have a lunch meeting with a woman that I'm not married to." Like, right? Like, it's like, not to say that's not. There's no wisdom in that. It's just to say it doesn't seem. Like drawing that hard line is solving the core issues that lead to the sinful nature of leaders and of men. Because particularly this was a rule established to keep men away from temptation. Again, it's not to say that women can't abide by this rule equally, but um, we're, we're just continuing to see men in the spotlight that have fallen and Many of them, at least their ministries and organizations, would have said, we held fast to this rule. Um, so if you held fast to it, it, it didn't work because 
the issue wasn't so much sitting down with a woman who is not your wife or your daughter and talking about ministry, talking about work. There was a deeper issue that's lying within people's hearts that the rule wasn't solving. Right. And forbidding lunch meetings between a man and a woman that aren't married seems like a small fence trying to keep ministry leaders from raping and assaulting Mm. the people under their power. Right. And that be like you ended up shifting to some of the core issues behind the reason this rule isn't working. And one of those you you said was power. Mm hmm. I think it's actually a lot of times it's more about power than it is even about sex. Right. Like, hmm. like sex can be used as a power dynamic. And I think a lot of times that's at the root of the issue. And even more than power, I think money's mixed in there too. Like yeah. power and money. So like in the case of like Robbie Zacharias, like his name's on the building, right? Mm. His name's on the building in six different countries. Right that all have Ravi Zacharias International Ministries plastered on the outside mm-hmm. of it. So he was too big to fall. He was too big to fail. And so you have to you have to cover it up. Yeah. You have to enable it. Yeah. Because everybody's paycheck depends, depend, on, depends him. on it. Yeah. Yeah, it depends on his actions. And so if he falls We all fall. Everyone falls. Mm-hmm. And that's where you have people who are more willing to turn a blind eye to it. And say, no, we have the Billy Graham rule in place. We're good. When clearly it's it's not working. Because his big issue, at least from the articles that I read, was the issue of accountability. Even though they held to the Billy Graham rule. Yeah. As an organization. Yeah. And so I think we have to look at the power dynamic and the, the power of personality and what role that plays. And it plays out on smaller stages, to be sure. It, it isn't just Robbie Zacharias. Right. There are these power dynamics in any organization, Christian mm-hmm. or non-Christian. Mm-hmm. And I think, and unfortunately, in a lot of evangelical organizations, churches, parachurch ministries, you know, personalities become way too big to fail. And so they end up being enabled. And so I think that's a systemic issue that we need to look long and hard at. If we are serious about the goal that we have, which is reducing the amount of cases of not only infidelity, but outright predatory Hmm. behavior. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think it behooves us to look at that and not just look at the individual cases like Robbie Zacharias, like Bill Hybels, like Andy Savage, like, you know, all the others and say, well, we're all sinful, right? Yes. But you're, you're, you're missing the context of, Mm -hmm. of what's happening. There's a lot more at play. Right. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of Christians have chalked up those cases that you've just listed and probably other cases to the fact that we live in a fallen world and they fell to sin. But the Some issue, of them like dove into sin. Yeah, yeah. The issue with that is you're trying to find a way to explain away the issue at hand. Mm-hmm. And if we're seeing number after number after number after number of similar situations that were holding to the same rule, at least they were saying they were, obviously they really weren't, then we do have to, again, reconsider whether or not the rule is working because the rule is put in place to be a safeguard. And I fear because of the name attached to the rule, like it's taboo to touch it because Billy Graham is, is such a great name 
for Christian evangelicals. Right. Even and to he, have this at, conversation, it's like, what are you, some kind of floozy? Right. And I mean, we had people who were just mad that we were, they thought we were talking bad about Billy Graham and we're absolutely not. I tried to be really explicit about yeah. that, the fact that we're not, but I, I guess it's it just, doesn't, doesn't come It's across. just unfortunate that, um, at least for this podcast or our conversation about the rule is that his name is attached to the rule. If his name wasn't attached to the rule, then we'd probably be fine. But anyways, so the second point that you had made is that it over-sexualizes women. And for some reason... I mean, that's a hot take to be sure. So we need to explain it. But this was the point that really got people. That's what I was going to say. This was the point. People were okay with point number one. And they were okay with, you know, a few of the other points. But they were not okay with point number two. I think point number two, I think because it's a nuanced argument that I'm making. Yes. So do you want to explain it since you're the one who wrote it? Yes. So on the face of it, or if you want to be fancy with your Latin, say prima facie. We're not fancy here. (laughs) Yeah. So on the face of it, it would seem in its intent and also in its effect, it dignifies the sexuality of women. I mean, that's, that's really a big part of why the rule exists. But I think its effect is different than its intent in that regard. Yes. So when we talk about sexualization of women and the over-sexualization of women, really what we're talking about is objectification. And when you're talking about objectification, basically what that means is that you are looking at a woman, a person, a three-dimensional human being, and reducing them to an object, a sexual object. And so objectification in one case is like going to the strip club and seeing that a woman is only a sexual object. And so she is there for me to indulge her as a sexual object. Now, when you look at the Billy Graham rule, it actually doesn't say, no, she's not an object. It actually kind of, well, it doesn't say this. It implies that a woman is a sexual object and keeps her in that two-dimensional understanding, but then just says, but I'm not going to indulge in it. So a woman is not a three-dimensional human being with her own will, her own volition, her own hopes and dreams and personality and skills and gifts. She is a sexual temptation to be avoided at all costs. And therefore, I will have no women around me ever. Right. And I think the reason why people got so upset about point number two, well, there's probably a couple of reasons, but one of the big ones is they felt as if you were suggesting women were not responsible in any way, that they were just merely victims whenever a man fell to sin. Obviously, for the cases of sexual abuse and rape, they were victims. They were victims. So let's make that very clear. But when it was mutual, they were obviously not victims, even though the man was falling to sin. That's not what we're talking about. We're not... We're not saying that in cases of mutual consent, the woman was still a victim because of the Billy Graham rule. That's not what we're saying. But what Dale is is trying to explain as clearly as possible, even though it's it's very subtle and it's very nuanced, is this idea that a woman is not allowed to sit down with a man based on this Billy Graham rule, even though she is qualified to sit down for whatever that business meeting is she has the education to sit down for that business meeting but simply because she's a woman she is not allowed to sit down for that business meeting 
with a man. Because she's a temptress. Right. And I've been going back and forth in my mind, knowing that this podcast was going to happen, about what I share and what I don't share. And in full transparency, a bit of my hesitation has been out of fear of not wanting people to think like, oh, she just thinks she's like a victim all the time. That's not what I think. But I have had a number of situations that left me feeling uncomfortable because I was informed, oh, we can't ride in this car together because you're a woman. And in my mind, I was like, oh, oh, like, what did I do wrong? Did I do something inappropriate? Did I like, what did I do to make you so uncomfortable in my presence? And in turn, the idea of saying like, we, we just want to be safeguarded has ended up making me feel really awkward as if I had did something. And then I'm far more mindful of the fact that I am a woman in the presence of a man. Not necessarily with no one else around, but just the fact that I'm a woman. Like, I'm in a workspace. It's fine. We're having a great conversation. I feel like I am, you know, contributing to the conversation because of my intelligence, because of my gifts, because of my skill sets. But then some weird comment comes up and I instantly feel uncomfortable being in that situation just because I'm a woman. Right. And it, it kind of turns being a woman into some kind of Well, disease. honestly, well, as I say, honestly, in some ways I feel dirty. And I, again, hesitate saying that, but I think, man, like if I were a man, it would be 100% okay. Like if everything else about me was exactly the same and I were just a man, this situation would be 100% okay. And that's hard because you think, I I don't know what I did wrong. Hmm. And I, I don't think I was being flirtatious. I don't like I don't think I was doing anything. I wasn't I was dressing modest, like I was doing all the things I'm supposed to do. Oh no, I see some angle over here. As a godly woman, but yet I still feel like I don't belong in this situation because I'm a woman. And not that you don't belong there professionally, but this weird feeling in the air that because you're a woman, there's something illicit happening. Right. Right. And I've worked for a number of um, Christian organizations and just a handful of secular organizations or, you know, non-religious organizations. And I will say, based on my personal experience, I have never felt that way in a non-religious organization. Hmm. I was always welcome to the meeting. My ideas were always welcome. Like, I was never, the door was never shut on me in a meeting because I was a woman. Hmm. Yeah. And I think the other part of it is like, well, I might not feel tempted, but I don't want to be accused of something. Yeah. And I think in, even in that it frames women as you are the one (laughs) tempting me. You're the way you're the one tempting me and B you're going to lie about it. Mm -hmm. And I think there's an assumption baked into that, that women are just looking for opportunities to accuse men of sexually assaulting them. Thanks. But if you look at a, and certainly that does happen. Yeah. It does. Yeah. But if you look at a vast majority of the cases where, where a woman said either said, this guy did something weird to me 
or that guy makes me feel weird with the way he acts. Most of the time, there's credence to those accusations. Yeah. Or at least they're, they should be taken very seriously because they're true enough enough of the time hmm. that I don't think we can write it off. And I've even heard, you know, weird things that guys will say like, well, I don't want to be accused of anything. Like, well, they just don't, told that. just don't like sexually assault women. Yeah. I've, and then you won't be accused of sexually assaulting women. Right. I've been told that. I've actually had someone in a Christian organization say, I'm not quite sure how to um, interact with you because I don't want to be accused of anything. And immediately it was like, what? You're like, who's accusing what? what of what? Yeah. What just happened? Wait, I thought I thought we were just talking about work here. Like, I'm so confused. Yeah, and then all of a sudden you bring sex into the conversation. And like, now I happening? feel real awkward because yeah. that was not on my mind at all. Yeah. And, right. And I just want to be like, okay. Like, we can have an adult conversation and not fall into sin. Like, that's okay. We can do that. I promise. Right. Yeah. And I think this leads into the third point, which is kind of related to the second one. It is. But it limits the opportunities of women who aren't the wife or daughter of someone who's already influential within an organization. Because if you have an in as a daughter or as a wife of somebody, then you can kind of gain more influence. But if you don't have those connections, then by virtue of people kind of treating you like you're dirty, um, you get shut out of the meeting a lot of the times. Yeah. I think point two like disturbs me and point three makes me sad because as a woman who is educated, who has a lot of career experience, um, highly educated. Uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, graduated, from seminary with high honors has worked in multiple organizations and multiple managerial positions across a couple of different industries, like a wealth of experience, skill and education, both theological and practical education. Just let, let the listener understand what, what she says. She (laughs) says she's qualified. Well, you're very kind. Um, and those are truthful things and not, you're not making them up because you're my husband. So, <laughs> yeah. So as a woman who has, you know, education, um, a lot of experience in the areas that I've worked in, I have had a lot of opportunities that I know for a fact, if I were a male, I would have been able to step into those opportunities and it would have been perfectly fine. No one would have hesitated. No one would have thought twice about it. But because I'm a woman and because of the Billy Graham rule of them desiring to live above reproach and saying, well, I can't be alone with you and I can't work closely with you in this way where I could if I if it were a man, I could work closely with you. But because you're not a man, you're a woman, I can't. And I have had opportunities that I haven't been able to step into or I've been passed up for those opportunities. Um, And that went from like a certain position to travel opportunities um, to just different meetings that were heavily influential within the organization that I worked in that I wasn't even allowed to be in the room because I was a woman. And that meeting itself 
again, was heavily influential within what process was happening within that organization or what decisions were happening in that organization. And I was fully qualified to be part of those conversations. But because I was a woman, I wasn't allowed to be in the room. And that's why I think point three saddens me, because if I was just a different gender, it would have been perfectly fine. Yeah. And it's interesting that you bring that up because what you're talking about is how the Billy Graham rule has become about more than the Billy Graham rule. There's actually a whole culture of shame that arises around it, which then makes you need to insulate the Billy Graham rule that, you know, you need to, you need to strictly adhere to the Billy Graham rule, but then you need to insulate yourself from the Billy Graham rule. So not, not only, do I need to never have a one-on-one meeting with you, but I never need to put, I need to never put myself in a position where it could be perceived that I'm working closely enough with you that somewhere, somehow I would possibly end up in a position where I would be alone in a room with you. And so I have to keep six layers of distance between me and you. And if I'm in a managerial position and you're working beneath me, that means that I am not bringing you up into the leadership pipeline, that I'm keeping you where you are at arm's length to avoid the suspicion that I could possibly someday somewhere right even graze the line of not adhering to the billy graham rule yeah and i had even um i think in as detailed as i can get with some of my examples um one of the jobs that i had applied for i had received a call back and they had told me like you're fully qualified um you have enough experience like you actually seem like the perfect fit, but unfortunately this person is looking for a male for this position because they want to live above reproach. Which I feel like that's like and, a little bit illegal. Oh, it's absolutely illegal. But I was told that and it was again within a Christian organization. Like if you're going to do that, at least don't tell me, right? Yeah, like no, don't tell me you're did. doing something that you're being and discriminatory. I think they were I think they were deciding whether or not they wanted to be like that hard and fast to it because after I received an interview, um, yeah, I got that call and they had told me, you know, we just want you to know that you are fully qualified and you're great. But unfortunately, we're just sexist. Well, unfortunately, you know, the person that you would be working for has decided. So I think it was like they just decided as opposed to having made that decision before they went through this whole process, obviously. Um, but yeah, that would be a pretty specific example of an opportunity that I could have had that I was qualified for, but simply because I was a woman, I wasn't allowed to have that position, unfortunately. And so that's why we should reconsider how we apply the Billy Graham rule, because if it is causing women to not reach their full potential in the church and Christian organizations in ways that they can reach it outside the church, then that's obviously a problem and we need to rectify that. And so that's yeah. why we need to reconsider it. And again, not to throw caution to the wind, but say like, hey, like, are we really taking in all the variables here? Because mm-hmm. there's some real damage that can be done, uh, not only to women who are denied opportunities, who are over-sexualized, but even to the organizations that could have benefited from their gifts yeah. and benefited from their leadership and benefited yeah. from their wisdom. And who knows, like maybe if there were more women in leadership to to balance out the men, uh, maybe we would be in a healthier place as churches and as Christian organizations because we wouldn't be 
working from one perspective, we would have the full gamut of human experience in the room making decisions uh, for the benefit of the mission of Jesus. Well, I think, one, that was really well said. Um, But I was going to say, I think that also is part of the problem of why it becomes so difficult for women to be in any form of leadership within the uh, Christian evangelical workplace. <laughs> like you can't earn a living there because it's so dominated by men. And I think this rule feeds into that domination of it continuing to be men only that are in leadership and women just can't break through again when you're qualified. I'm not saying like you should hire a woman just for the sake of hiring a woman. Like look at the resume. If the person's qualified, hire them. Like their gender shouldn't play a role in it. And I do understand someone wanting to live above reproach because as a wife, I absolutely want you to do everything in your power to live above reproach. But if you are running an organization and because you're fearful of falling into sin, you're going to decide you're not going to hire the person who is the most qualified for it. I would say... Oh, you would never let me. <laughs> well, well, that... I feel like, what is wrong with you? Like, this is the best person for it. I would say, honestly, like, maybe you shouldn't be in the position you're in. Ooh, sick burn. If... No, really. Right. If it is so difficult for you... Right. Like, if you can't even have a meeting without being like, ah, like all sex craze. Right. and Or even for your spouse not to trust you. Like, I feel like there's so many other issues that are at hand if that is the rule that we absolutely have to put in place, even though we know it's in some ways harming somebody else from an opportunity. And so if me as your wife... I believe you can't hire the person that is best fit for the job because you are in such great temptation, then I would actually say you're probably not in the position you're supposed to be in, in Mm. this current phase of your life. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's something to think about. That's a, that's a hard truth to put out there, but I think it's something worth saying and considering. Because the issue is so much deeper then I just couldn't follow a rule. Because if you really have that problem, which we've seen it with the people who have fallen and it's become public, if that is really hard for you, then rule or no rule, you're going to find ways around it. Right. You're going to find ways. The fence only keeps honest people out. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, we have boundaries within our marriage, you know, in terms of how do we safeguard ourselves But to go to this extreme of not allowing opportunities within workplace or then what? Are you just going to work with men all the time? Like you're never going to work with a woman? Like I just, God created men and women and we're supposed to benefit one another, not simply within marriage, but within society, within culture. We need men and women. Again, and it's not just for the sake of marriage we need men and women. We need men and women in the world. So if we can't learn how to exist with one another, then I think we're actually missing what God intended when he created man and woman. Yeah, it's complicated, but I think we need to address the complexity of living in a 21st century world where Mm -hmm. women are more present in places of work and places of leadership. And that's normative. And I think our theology 
and our practices need to be able to accommodate that. Yeah. And I think you had mentioned this in your blog with women in the workforce in the 21st century, the rule might not fit as well as it fit when Billy Graham created it Mm -hmm. because that wasn't the cultural landscape that he was dealing with because there were not a lot of women within the workforce. That was just the culture he lived in. Right. So for him to be meeting alone with a woman, like it probably wasn't a business meeting, you know? Right. It was a different world. Yeah. And so we have to understand that as well. Mm -hmm. So I'm sorry. I've taken a really long time on point two and point three. This is good. But um, you had four points to your blog. So yeah, I feel like my fourth fourth point point is more just kind of like point of order. Yeah. Your fourth point was like, oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah. So the fourth point is if we're going to follow the Billy Graham rule, then we should follow the rule in its entirety. And what? most people don't actually know this, that interestingly enough about the Billy Graham rule is that if you're adhering to it, you're probably not actually even adhering to it. Because there's fullness. more to the rule that he had put in place in regards to his, um, his ministry, yeah, his ministry of living above reproach, because living above reproach is about more than keeping it in your pants. Well, yeah, it's about more than, um, Living and above having, reproach having in your, the appearance of keeping it in your pants. Yeah. Yeah. It actually, living above reproach is this idea of if someone were to bring you before a court, they would have absolutely no evidence against you. And so that's not just in relation to sexual issues. It's in relation to all issues of your life about you living an ungodly life. So there are more things to the rule than just the don't meet alone with a woman. Yeah. And this actually came from a document that Billy Graham and the other leaders in this organization authored back in 1948. It was called the Modesto Manifesto. I didn't look up why it was called the Modesto Manifesto. Maybe they you. were in Modesto when they signed it. They, oh, I was like, what does Modesto mean? Like they had they had nothing else to do. They were sitting in their hotel room in Modesto when they were on a on a evangelistic tour. I don't know. But they, they came out with the statement in 1948, and it had four commitments to it. The first one was to never exaggerate attendance figures at their meetings. Hello, pastors, are you listening? Never exaggerate the success of your ministry. Modesto means modest in Spanish. Oh. So maybe there's something there. I'm okay. not sure I was thinking how... about the city in California. Yeah, but I... like, why would they name it after that city? When you said cities? that, I was like, I'm sure Modesto means something other than a city. So Modesto means modest, okay. which now this this fits a little bit better than your... Okay, I should have I should have gone to page two of that document I was reading about the. You should have looked at Wikipedia. Okay, so never exaggerate your figures. Uh, two, take a modest fixed salary. Uh, that was for Billy Graham and uh, everyone in his organization at the time. I think it was thirty thousand dollars. Never be alone with a woman. That was point number three, and then point number four: never criticize fellow members of the clergy. Oh, yeah, I don't... So how many of us are really adhering to the Billy Graham A lot of us are failing We've seen your Twitter feeds. (laughs) I love how it's not even number one. Like, it wasn't even the first one when you're reading it. It just somehow became the famous one for some reason. Maybe because the rest of them were like, oh, we're for sure going to lie about our numbers. We're for sure going to want to take a larger salary. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, and I think this is going to sound weird. I think evangelicals do have a little bit of an obsession with sex. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I guess I haven't thought enough about that. And yeah, to come Of all the biblical know. concepts that are like, there's a lot of verses that talk about them. Hmm. We really zero in on the sex one. I think probably because, I don't know, maybe. We, we tend not to zero in on justice. Mm. We tend not to zero in on humility and <laughs> gossip. Gossip. Like if I'm going to hire somebody and they're going to lead me to gossip, I'm not going to be in the same room with them. We're perfectly fine being alone in a room with someone who's gossiping and we make sure yeah, that have you door been to is church? shut. Like that is the place where you find the best gossip. <laughs> like that is the hub. Yeah. But yeah, and, and a lot of these are things that we really should adhere to. Like you shouldn't exaggerate your numbers. You shouldn't be a leader in an organization where you're the senior leader and you're making 10 times what the person that's the next position down from you mm-hmm. is making. Now, if you're the senior leader, then you probably should you may be making the most because there's a special weight that comes from being the leader. But it should be proportional. And obviously, obviously you should be paid well within the you know the confines of your organization and what that means and the the resources that that organization has but there should be some kind of equity in your organization and we should certainly debate theological issues and we should do it publicly because if you have a public platform you're saying theological statements publicly then it is my right as someone with a public platform to debate you publicly and that's something of a tradition within the church and theology, mm-hmm. Paul yeah. did that. Yeah, Martin Luther did that. You know that that's something that we we can and should and must do to further knowledge and faithfulness. But the kind of like bashing that happens from one evangelical circle to another, right, is just like not acceptable. No, no. And I think all that to be said is there certainly is wisdom to glean with the heart behind the rule, and we should seek to find the wisdom behind the rule and adhere to the wisdom of it and the intention of it, but not make the rule something that is absolutely unchangeable because it's the rule that's called legalism. (laughs) And like, it wasn't even a rule that God made because Jesus hung around with women he was alone with women on a couple of different occasions that, that were recorded in the scriptures. Right. And the so, women that he was alone with, <laughs> like the woman at the well. Yeah. Talk about not being above reproach. Goodness. Yeah. This woman's like, she had like five different husbands, which at that time was like, you know, unheard of. That and was it, a lot. He had a private conversation with his woman. Yeah. And so what we're trying to get across in this podcast and even in the blog is that we should try and take as much of the wisdom and apply it into our lives and whatever that looks like for you in your life. And certainly living above reproach is biblical, but we need to not lose sight of what the heart of that command is. Yeah, I think even more than rules, really good rules, we need to employ really good wisdom. Yeah, and it's not going to be one size fits all which I think that's sort of the issue with this rule is it's been applied to every type of working relationship, non-working relationship in your private life, in your public life. Like it's just being a blanketed rule that is not taking into consideration 
the circumstances. And so it's not going to be one size fits all. And we need to start asking harder questions and looking for more creative solutions of how do we continue to honor God and live by his commands and live godly lives that are not at the expense of others. Thanks for listening to the Her and Him podcast. If you enjoyed hanging out with us, consider subscribing to the podcast to receive it automatically each week. Also be sure to head over to our website, hernhim.com, and you can get show notes for this episode, read our blogs, and other helpful resources. We'd also love to hear from you, so you can email us at herandhimblog at gmail.com. Thanks again, and we will see you next time. Ted, what do you want to do today? Well, Ashley, I've always got uh, work to do, naps to take, but I have a better idea. How about we invite everyone to listen to the Team Us podcast? I love that idea. Let's do it right now. Hi, everyone. We're Ted and Ashley Slater, and we'd love for you to join us as we talk about teamwork in marriage. We share how grace, commitment, and cooperation can help couples live the everyday moments of marriage together. To listen, go to lifeaudio.com and search for Team Us.